We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Sixth Man Show on Orlando Magic Podcast with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic Basketball. Five fans, four fans. Go Magic! What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Sixth Man Show. Today is June 8th, 2023. Jonathan Osborne here, as always. Joined by my co-host Luke Sylvia. Luke, how are you, my friend? Wonderful. I uh, to, no. Let's see. Friday, going to Georgia for a wedding, and then going from Georgia to the beach. Uh, it's Atlanta, Kev. You know. Um, okay. But okay. Uh, yeah, it's Atlanta. I would have hit you up, and um, then we're going to the beach on Sunday for the week, New Smyrna. So you guys actually will be shows next week will be piloted by yourself, Jonathan. And uh, old producer Kevy for a couple episodes. And yeah, I I didn't know the Georgia thing was coming. I, I don't think yeah, Kevin either. knew either. So he kind of jumped in before I got the chance to introduce him. But producer Kevin on the show per 5 million requests to get him on the show each week. And here he is. What's up, Kev? How are you? Gentlemen, glad to be back. Ladies and gentlemen who are viewing or listening to this episode, glad to be back. Uh, yeah. First time on in several weeks, but glad to talk about some off-season and draft stuff with you guys. Speaking of draft stuff, a uh, quick announcement here. Coming up on the 22nd, so the draft is two weeks from today as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on Thursday the 8th. So the 22nd at 6.30 is when the doors are going to open at Amway Center, downtown Orlando. The Magic are hosting this year's draft party. I don't know how many more of these we're, we're going to have as the, the team should be picking later and later in the first round as the, the next years come and go. But we'll be there hanging out. The draft, I believe, starts at 7 o'clock. So make sure that you guys go to OrlandoMagic.com or in your Orlando Magic app to reserve your free tickets. It is free to get in, but you do need a ticket to get in. So make sure you go and reserve that. I think each individual person can reserve up to four. So we'll be there hanging out, of course, looking forward to seeing all of you. So we'll go ahead and get those tickets, and then we'll see you June 22nd. It's weird that we're just two weeks away from the draft, gentlemen. Yeah, I, it feels like it, 
we talked uh, i don't remember was that was that before we talked with josh or after or during i mean but we had essentially just said how crazy it seems that it's already been what we're a third of the way through this off season and also how, how equally crazy it is that there's teams still playing basketball I, we said that and we're like man it does give you it gives me a lot to look forward to like my team can just be playing later, later, meeting the off season gets shorter and shorter. That's what I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like a whole second season, like when you get in these playoffs, man. And it's crazy. There's only two teams left. And yeah, it's weird thinking back to the lottery, you know, May 15th, 16th, whatever it was. And I was like, man, the draft is so far away. And now we're over halfway there. Draft in two weeks. Let's go. I'm excited. Yeah, it felt last year like the pre-draft process took a lot longer and i contribute that to just having so many more possibilities this year in the draft like do we keep both picks do we trade both picks do we keep one pick and trade the other do we keep six and trade 11 do we trade uh players and picks for a star like there are if we keep both picks there's a million different directions we could go in selecting players so yeah, it's gone by a lot faster. And today I really, I realized like, wow, like the magic last played almost two months ago now. And that puts us a third of the way through the off season. And we're going to be right into the draft, right in the summer league. And then of course, August is always super, super dead. And then at the end of September, beginning of October, like we'll have media day and, and right in the training camp. It's super dead, except for I have to bring it up because I made it a big deal last year for no reason at all. It's not super dead because my birthday is in August. But so <laughs> August 29th, you guys have like the dead of August to really plan what you're going to get me. It's it's awesome. Uh, honestly, Jonathan, when you said that, you also have a feeble World Cup. That's I forgot what I was about that. Say. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Well, what I was going to add was that you talk about how last time it felt like so much longer leading up to the draft. It just really hit me how much longer it really did feel. Cause I, I it was excruciating just week after week talking about three dudes and that was it. I, it has been so much better. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's been so much better. Obviously would not uh, trade anything for Paolo Bancaro, but, and for that time and the draft and whatever, but, Man, I, I, it has flown by considerably compared to this time last year. Imagine how miserable we'd be if we got number one. Yeah, you'd just be talking about Wimby. We'd just be the show wouldn't <laughs> yeah, even happen. Just, we would just throw up Wimby poor, highlights. Those poor Spurs fans, you know, they just yeah. know for six weeks that they're drafting Victor Webanyama. Oh, <laughs> poor guys. <laughs> All right, let's reveal the real reason that that Kevin Tucker is on the show. Uh, tonight so or today rather if you're on social media you may already know about this but this is something that is really first of all it has all our full support like we're super excited about this but it was producer kevin's idea and it is like very much producer kevin's baby next regular season after every single magic game we're going to have a live post game show we're going to broadcast on youtube and 90 95% of the time it's going to be hosted by none other than producer Kevin Tucker and it's an awesome uh, thing that we're doing bringing more content to the community and what I think is so cool about it Kevin is that fans are going to be able to interact with each show and, and give their opinion on what they just watched each night yeah I'm 
super, super pumped about it. I think this is a really good time to start going into this venture with, you know, the future of this team and hopefully this coming up, you know, season going to be so much more fun and more wins and all that kind of stuff. But we kind of did a test run of this of sorts. Like some of you tuned into our 300th episode live, which was really fun. But if you were there, you saw it was a, a totally live interactive show with comments and YouTube chats and all that kind of stuff. And so that's the idea uh, after each and every Magic game this year. You know, something short, you know, 20, 30 minutes, uh, but kind of reacting to the game and getting fans involved. Like that's that's a big thing we're, we're pushing for this season. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm super pumped. It's, it's going to be a lot. You know, 82 games is, is no joke, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially getting to do it with Magic fans every step of the way. And I think we all know how electric it is just right after a Magic game. And honestly, whether it's a win or a loss, just how active this community is. So that's a big reason, too, that it, that's happening. And like you touched on, Kev, but in the 300th episode in that live stream, I mean, how many concurrent like people at one time do we have in there? It was over. Was it over 200, Kevin? I can't mm-hmm. remember the exact, yeah. but it was a good amount of you guys. And so I can only imagine for right after a magic game how many people you know are able to flood into the comments give your thoughts kevin and you know from time to time jonathan and i on there and then probably some other guests along the way with you kevin for sure and able to just like pick out your comments and um man i'm i'm just super pumped for it i know that our buddies over at nick's film school uh blue wire family shout out they do a lot of this type of stuff, right? They're doing live post games. They do pre games, previews with their producer. Uh, so just kind of going to be cool to see uh, Kevin get to step into the the role of not just producer, but hosting uh, really his his own show within the six man show. So super pumped for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be great just to get fans more engaged in the conversation because right now, you know, we'll still be doing. I'll do my sixty second or. They've kind of grown last season a, a minute and a half, two minutes, whatever, depending on what is happening. So we'll still have that kind of short form type of content. But for those of you that want to hear like on a essentially daily basis now, in, in one way or another, you're probably going to hear us talking about the Orlando Magic. Like if it's not the Monday show or the Thursday show, if there's a game Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday, or Saturday, Sunday, like you're going to have so much more Magic content from us. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. The idea behind this is um, not just more content, but a different flavor, too. Like, that's the whole idea with it being shorter, instant reactions to games, getting, you know, you involved as listeners, and then also just a different host. It's a different voice, different perspective. Um, and so that way, obviously, this, the normal Monday, Thursday shows absolutely not going away. That's the backbone of who we are and what we do. Uh, but just something different, something added to it to react to all all the different games. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm beyond excited. It should be fun. And last and thing I want to add, there. Sorry, uh, Jonathan. The last thing I was going to add here was just that I know the listeners, people that listen, consume on audio platforms, are wondering, you know, what if I prefer That's audio? I, I want something to listen to on the way to work. Sorry, Jonathan. Um, no, but yeah. So there, you're going to have something to listen to. We're going to upload this to the audio platforms, and uh, you won't have to worry about that because I know there's people watch the game, and they're like, man, I I, mean, I can't wait to go to sleep and then wake up. <laughs> and listen to the episode or whatever it is because that's how I am truthfully. So I can just, I'm a big sleep guy. So I watch the game. I want to go to bed. Don't worry. It'll be there on YouTube again. And then it also will be on those audio platforms. So if you're not already subscribed to us on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash the six man show now and go ahead and subscribe. 
And then also be sure on our channel to ring the little notification bell. That way, every time that we post new episodes, so when those come out in the mornings, you'll be notified of that. And when Kevin goes live after games, you'll be notified as well. So make sure that you subscribe, ring the notification bell, and you guys engaging with those streams is going to be huge, you know, comments and everything like that, just to help continue to grow the channel, grow the the community. Like Luke pointed out, it's still going to be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to it. So if you don't catch it live, you'll be able to catch that afterwards. Just really looking forward to that. And the good news is, I don't think we're ready to announce the other content that we have planned for next season, but this isn't going to be the last thing that we are adding for next season. We're going to be everywhere. We're going to be every. You're not going to be able to turn around as a Magic fan and not see the six-man show. We're going to be everywhere. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. So um, just trying to to bring other flavors so that it's not just Jonathan and Luke, the the same old song and dance all the time, uh, to get other perspective and and an emphasis on more you know fan involvement as well is what we're looking for next year so be on the lookout for that but super excited no producer kevin is gonna kill it uh, looking forward to joining those you know with luke and with kevin sometimes and, and seeing what guests we're able to get on those i just know it's gonna be a lot of fun and what's probably gonna happen like i know Kevin is going to do this, but I'll probably just be sitting there watching these like commenting most of the time anyway. So uh, really looking forward to these, Kev. All right. A little bit of a NBA finals update as we talk about our arch nemesis, the Miami Heat playing against the Denver Nuggets. Right now they are in game three. The series is tied one game apiece with six minutes, 20 seconds to go in the second quarter. Denver is up one. What did you guys think of game two? And how do you feel about this series in general at this point? Uh, well, obviously didn't enjoy how game two ended. Um, uh, I, I think as a, the series as a whole, um, especially after game one, you know, I mean, the, the Nuggets obviously ran away with that one. It felt like, okay, Denver is who we thought they were. Okay, this is going to be easy. And unfortunately, Miami did what Miami has done this entire postseason. And whenever you think they're out, they just they find a way, which is really annoying. Like it's it's gross. It's it's really gross. Um, but you know, I still feel good about the Nuggets. Um, I think hopefully they'll correct some of the things. Obviously, we haven't gotten to watch a second of this game tonight because you know we've been talking and interviewing Josh and everything. But uh, hopefully, they've corrected some of the things from Game Two and can grab it on the road and, and secure a home court advantage again. As you guys know, I love to keep up with the betting lines. I think the betting lines are super telling when it comes to a series. The crazy thing to me so far in terms of the betting lines, Denver has been favored by like eight to nine points in in games one and two. Heading to tonight back in Miami, typically, for those that don't know, when it goes back to the home place, what you can usually infer is that the spread will be impacted by about three points, three to three and a half points, right? Tonight in this game, Miami was only a three and a half point dog. So about a five point swing at that point, at that rate. So tells you Vegas might be buying in a little bit to the Miami win in game two. And uh, but it's still, you know, Denver's gonna probably be favored every game, regardless. But as Miami has shown us, it doesn't matter who's favored in every game because I would highly doubt that they've been favored in the majority of these games that they've played in so far in the playoffs. So, and they're in the NBA Finals. 
Uh, also, they got messy today. I like in Miami. Can why do they get to to have nice things? I'm ready for Orlando to have nice things. I have a buddy. I'm getting off on a tangent. I apologize. I have a buddy. Uh, his name's Ryan, and he's an Orlando City fan, but he's a Miami Heat fan. And he had the gall. What a loser. He had the gall today to text me. I'm going to pull it up. He had the gall today. Is this the Ryan I was talking to on Saturday? It, it is. Yes. Oh, my. He said wow. He said this to me. I wish, and he's talking about Orlando City, but we know how we'll take this. I wish Orlando was a big market and could get sick players. Like, sh- shut up. We, like, you, you have no idea. It's ironic that he as a Heat fan who should be a Miami soccer fan at that rate could say such a thing to me but yeah so you know the the rich get richer there down in miami well i am still hoping that like this cinderella story will come to an end like we i just watched caleb martin out of the corner of my eye have his own eight to nothing run like caleb martin who do you think you are all right like these last two rounds of the playoffs the the kids playing like an all-star like just just relax like you know who you are this playoff series is going to come and go, and next year we'll be like, oh my gosh, look at Caleb Martin. Remember we watched him in the playoffs? We thought this guy was going to be like incredible. Like, I- I- I'm really just sick of it. Like Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Duncan Robbins, like everybody just chill out a little bit with the three-point shooting. Like the almost 50% in game two, just completely unnecessary. And everybody else on good Denver, at this. they none of nobody yeah. even knew how to shoot a three in the regular season. On They're one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league all season. And now the last two months, they are just like Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson. It, it just good things happen to bad people. I, I don't understand. I don't know why, <laughs> but here we are. Like they should have lost to the Bucks. They definitely should have lost to the Celtics. I still, I'm still picking Denver in five, which was my original prediction. Even if it goes seven, as long as they lose, I will be okay. Because yeah. if they win, I'll, I'll never forget it, and Kevin will never forgive me for That's rooting true. for the Heat against the Bulls in the in the play-in. Yep, that was I was rooting for one. our draft lottery odds. That is the reason we are in this situation right now. You can blame Jonathan. The other thing I was going to say, the last thing I'll say about this stupid series and stupid team, I don't like to talk about them. The stat that blew my mind was the the quarter breakdown. I don't remember what the first three quarters were, but they were in the negative. The Heat were in the negative in point differential in quarters one, two, and three over the course of the whole playoffs. In the fourth quarter, they are plus 90. Plus 90 points in the fourth quarter, which means that's a hundred point over a hundred point difference. Between you know one, two, and three versus quarter four, insane what they've done in fourth quarters, and it makes me sick. Yeah, screw them. All right, let's talk about something a little bit more exciting. Let's talk about Please. the Orlando Magic. So a couple days ago, as you're listening to this, I believe it was Tuesday that this report came out from Sean Devney. Uh, he reported that the Magic uh, are interested in Gary Trent Jr. and the Celtics Grant Williams this year. In free agency, uh, he said that he talked to an Eastern Conference executive and about Gary Trent. He had to say he'd be a good bet as their top priority in free agency, but that's if they want to go all in. And then speaking to a Western Conference executive talking about Grant Williams, he said he is 24. He has proven his chops on both ends. You can't coach that kind of experience. He's got it. 
He's a perfect fit there. You want to become a playoff team. He is the kind of guy they'd want, but Orlando would have to overpay to get him, and it is tough to expect a team to do that. Obviously, if you are Williams, you want to see the Magic being aggressive in the market. Luke, what are your thoughts on this report, the opinions of these executives, and then just kind of what you think about those guys and the Magic having a marriage this uh, free agency period? The only thing those executives, the only difference between me and these executives is that they hold a higher, more authoritative role in their organization. We know the same thing. We're going off because guess what, Jonathan? What have you and I have been saying? We've been saying this team needs to add shooting, 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 right? Pure speculation that the Magic are going to go get shooters, but there's a good chance that we're right. We hope that we're right. Much like these executives hope they're right by suggesting that Grant Williams and Gary Trent Jr. are in the sights of the Magic. I say this because Grant Williams shoots almost four threes a game, 39.5% from three. Gary Trent Jr. this past year, almost seven attempts a game, 36.9% from three. That's the main denominator, like the common denominator for the guys that are being suggested is three-point shooting. Now, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I don't like that only three-point shooters are being linked to us right now. Whether they know what they're talking about or not, I still like to know that like, oh, our our take isn't bad, that the Magic absolutely need to add three-point shooting. But also, in the off chance that they happen to share a drink with Weltman or Hammond, Hammond gets to talking. I don't want us to miss like lose sight of that. Hammond can get to talking. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's not even the conversation. Maybe the conversation wasn't who are you targeting, right? That might be too crazy. But it might have been, yeah, we need to add some shooting this offseason, yada yada. Yeah, do you want what kind of whiskey do you want? You know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm hoping that that is the case. I don't hate these reports. I really don't, because both dudes can shoot the the lights out of the ball. So I'm okay with that from from that standpoint. I don't know if I'm crazy about Grant, but, you know. Yeah, I think for me, it kind of goes back to, uh, I guess, uh, the what do they call those? The exit interviews, exit interviews at the end of the season where they asked Jeff Weltman kind of some general off-season questions. What are you hoping to do this year? And he gave the most explicit answer we've ever seen from Jeff Weltman when he said, we need to add shooting. Like, <laughs> For him to say that, I remember it was like, what's going on with this guy? Did he actually just say that? Which was crazy because normally it's just like, you know, we want to get better and every, you know, we're always looking to develop. But, you know, all the generic broad statements that Weltman has been obviously known for. But for him to come out and just straight up say, well, we need to add shooting. You know, we were one of the worst shooting teams in the league. Um, so that was surprising, but it did kind of set the table for the rest of this offseason. So like you said, Luke, it could just be spouting out things that everybody knows. We were a terrible shooting team. We need to get better. Um, but there may, may be conversations, you know, behind closed doors. As for these two particular guys, I'm I'm kind of with you, Luke. I'm okay with both of them. Obviously, I don't think we're going to grab both of them, but I think both of them would be an interesting fit in Orlando. I would prefer Gary Trent Jr., uh, you know, of the two. But uh, they're both interesting, interesting guys, and I think they, they could have a fit potentially here in Orlando. I think if you just kind of look like historically, like guys who are in a similar situation to Grant Williams, like, you know, pretty important role player on a, on a championship contending team. Once they hit free agency, 
this might be a guy that's looking for a bigger role, you know, in, in Grant Williams. So one, when they're talking about the part, is it, this is a guy that you may have to overpay. You may have to give him starter money and he may be looking for a role that's a little bit bigger than what he had in Boston. He may be looking to start for a team. And if that's the case, sorry, Grant, Orlando is just not the place for you. I don't know if you've heard, we have a guy named Paolo Bancaro and his good buddy, Franz Wagner. So I'm just really not that interested in, in that because I mean, if not, like, why not just stay in Boston? Like if you're, he's looking to get paid more money and that's going to come with more responsibilities, more responsibilities is going to come with a, a bigger role. And Gary Trent is definitely the name that intrigues me a bit more, but that's another guy that I think if you, you go out and you pay him, that's your starting two guard next center next, uh, next season. Well, so the thing is, as far as their contracts go, right. Grant Williams is a little bit more cut and dried to the fact of like a little, maybe a little bit more believable just because he's a restricted free agent. Right. And uh, when it comes to this summer, the magic can just try to outbid Boston. Essentially Boston can kind of be like, Oh, that's too rich for our blood. And you guys can take him. Gary Trent jr. Is a little trickier because Gary Trent jr. Has a player option. So are you able, like is Gary Trent going to really want to commit to this magic team? And uh, it all comes down to money and fit and culture. Thankfully, I think the Magic have the culture. They've got the money. You just got to hope Gary Trent wants to be a part of this Magic team because he's not technically you know, unrestricted until next offseason, but he does have that player option coming into the offseason. Yeah, just looking at like the, the Raptors and, and talking about Gary Trent. So he, next year, he has a player option for $18.5 million mm. in what is not really a loaded free agent class. I would not be shocked at all to see him decline that and hit the open market, maybe looking for greener pastures. You know, uh, Toronto has not been uh, kind of living up to their expectation. Now Nick Nurse is gone. They're going to be bringing in a new head coach. So maybe he sees this as an opportunity to bounce. What I really want everyone to take from this, though, Luke, you talked about how this these execs probably know about as much as we do. Even if these end up being true, right? I don't want people getting like super excited about these because we've seen this time and time again where there are reports the Magic are tied to this guy. They're interested in this guy. They don't end up here. We we need to look as far as the last draft cycle with Jabari Smith Jr. You know, nobody really knows what the Magic are going to do until they do it. So although there is some legitimacy to these guys being good fits. I don't want people to start getting excited that all right, these they're definitely going in and, and trying to sign these guys in free agency. The other thing to add too, uh, the last thing I'll add about these guys and the talk of the execs and and things of that nature is that maybe they know or they think that you know the, if the Magic are going to add shooters, they don't necessarily need like a twenty eight, twenty nine year old vet in order to add or twenty seven. Both of these guys are twenty four. So I do like that. I like that there seems to be kind of a, a type, right? Shooters, young, can grow with the team. I don't hate it at all. Uh, I w- obviously, as all of us would, prefer Gary Trent Jr., but I think it'll be a little bit tougher to swing him as compared to Grant Williams. But I do definitely see your point, Jonathan, and I agree with it that Gary Trent Jr. could see. It's a little weaker of the free agency class. Why not test the water, see you know, these teams like the Magic who have more to give this offseason. See if they're willing to do it with Gary Trent Jr. I wouldn't hate it at all if they overpaid a little bit for him. Stip- sticking with the topic of free agents, 
I don't even know if we can label this guy a free agent, but Chris Paul reportedly is going to be waived by the Phoenix Suns. Now, I thought I understood what the hell waving a player meant, but apparently a guy making too much money can just be waived, clear the waivers, and then sign back with his current team. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like To me, that's just <laughs> something about that doesn't seem right. Maybe it should, but it really doesn't. But I, I posed the question on Twitter about Chris Paul, and I did this more so with the thinking in mind that you would sign him to some kind of veteran minimum. I don't see why he would do that here in Orlando. I'm sure he still wants to ring chase, so to speak. But I put the poll on Twitter. You know, would you be interested in bringing in Chris Paul as sort of a mentor to some of these young guys? And as it stands right now at 9.37 p.m. Wednesday night, we have 314 votes. 56.4% of the vote is for no. 43.6% of the vote is yes. Were you guys surprised by these results at all? And then where do you fall with uh, Chris Paul in being a magic? I wasn't surprised because I also voted no. Um, So maybe controversial opinion here. I don't know, man. I just... We've talked about this a little bit like off air. I'm just not ready for this team to make any kind of jump. And I, and I understand that the notion of Chris Paul coming just as a mentor or whatever to our young guys, which from that standpoint, I, I, I would be cool with. But at the same time, when you bring someone like, like Chris Paul in, like there's an, the expectations just instantly go up. Even though he's not who he once was, he's still Chris Paul and that name carries weight. And I'm not ready for this team to be, you know, kind of subject to that, if that makes sense. Like, I'm very much a fan of the long-term game here, like slow and steady. We're not trying to go all in too early. And, uh, but then, you know, I want the team to grow, basically. I'm afraid this would rush that process too much. So on paper, it looks nice. But in reality, I, I decided to say no. I don't know where I fall, to be honest. Um, it Chris Paul and like Kev said, like the name carries weight. But not only does the name carry weight, he's still a good basketball player. Like he even despite being thirty eight years old, he's averaged last season in sixty games, fifty nine games, fourteen points a game, eight point nine assists, and one point nine turnovers. That's absurd to me. Not just, I mean, the guy's been nicknamed Point God, so you know I'm not too surprised. But 37.5% from three on four and a half threes a game, like still a respectable basketball player. And he has been playing the same amount of minutes every year since 2015. 32 minutes a game is where he's kind of been falling. Even last year as really majority of the year, I think being 37. But, you know, it's it just all about fit at this point. And the Magic have their guys. The truth of the matter is he's not coming to Orlando. Like there's just that's 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 the truth of the matter here, right? Like he he was making thirty million, right, or thirty twenty eight point four million last year, and no, I don't know the last guy that got paid that much money was looked at the star that he is or was, and then jump ship designed for a vet minimum, right? So for a non contender, at least not to a contender, right? Not to a non contender is what I, what I was getting at, and like. It's just an unrealistic thing, but it is fun to think about. It's fun that this is even a poll you could put out there. <laughs> because in past years, we'd be like, ah, 
like yes he's even in today's time he's not coming but at the same time we know that we're not far away from these conversations being a reality we're a couple years probably away from like that big star that's late in his career come on just to be a vet presence and uh be with the magic as as he ring chases so which is crazy to think about but also awesome yeah i think really like my ideal chris paul in orlando scenario is like atlanta hawks vince carter you know Mm -hmm. where he doesn't really have a huge role on the floor like really is just there to to mentor and i think vince carter's personality is probably a bit better suited for that kind of role where maybe chris paul isn't but when i when i posed the poll and, and posed the question that's more of what I was thinking. I'm not talking about Chris Paul coming in and being like our backup point guard. Although if you were to make that kind of signing, Luke, to your point, he still is good enough to be like a a, a backup. I don't think that you would want him in the starting lineup with Paolo and Franz and, and really taking the ball out of their hands. Because for most of the season, like in Phoenix, it's like Devin Booker and Chris Paul playing like my turn, your turn kind of thing where it's not necessarily shots, but like, okay, this position Booker is going to initiate the offense, probably get a pretty good shot. This possession, Chris Paul is going to initiate the offense, maybe get a good shot for himself, probably get a good shot for someone else. I just don't see that in the starting lineup. And for all of the reasons that you both have listed, it's not going to happen. And admittedly you know it's the off season i was fishing for a little bit of social media content get everybody's minds going and kind of get the juices flowing so chris paul is not coming to orlando but i thought it was a a fun conversation to be had but i i gotta say i did expect more people to be on board maybe i should have added a bit more of the context in which i was thinking about this maybe people just thought like hey are we gonna bring in chris paul to be our backup point guard and no, most people would not be interested in that. Uh, to Kevin's point, that would Chris Paul is still good enough, and that name still carries enough weight that the expectation is like, oh, he's going to do to the Magic what he did to the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, and exactly. elevate them, you know, the the way that they were able to do there. So, but uh, I at least thought that was a, a fun conversation. Speaking of fun conversations, we did have a really fun conversation with a writer and digital content manager from orlandomagic.com, our buddy Josh Cohen. We're going to get to that conversation in just a moment. But before we do that, we need to shout out the folks that help financially support every episode. And talking about this post-game show, this post-game show definitely would not be possible without our patrons. So really, really appreciate our patrons. If you'd like to join our community, you can find us at patreon.com slash the six-man show, uh, where you can help support the show for as little as $2 a month We have additional tiers with additional benefits. One of those being our elite and Hall of Fame tier patrons. We shout them out on every single episode, which I'll go ahead and start with the court cousins, Drew Gooden, Carmen, Carmen, my wife, Carmen. No, Armin. Armin is not my wife. Armin is definitely not my wife. Uh, Carson Tulo, normal Magic player history, Gabe Gaines, Magic Static. Wiffle switched up the name to Magic Static. I like that. Michael Martin, Jamel Miller. You guys remember Static Shock? I loved that show as a kid. Uh, Magic Static uh, brings Static Shock to mind. Michael Salapong, The Distract, Donkey Punch Dave, Paolo and Franz's Warmth, Pierre A, Nostalgia and M- M&M's, Dylan Holden, Mr. Mikey, Eduardo Sanchez, Drum, Danimal, Dodo 15, Bobby Skinner, Goaty 93, Teddy Sylvia, Eric Lopez, 
Fuchsia, Juan Dorado, Bill Fulton, Edmund Lagone, Jose Esquilin, Destin for Greatness, Caleb Pete, Cannibalism, Ty, Mr. TV, Joe Rothfuss, ESPN Really Sucks, Gear 95 Shred, Junior Bruce, Half Reekin, uh, Shahin 177, Bulby the Dawn, Himlo Ban Himro, RM Prof 221, Ray Pastrana, Magic Kid 714, Spank Too Hard, Soft Taco, Jesse, Johnny B. <laughs> Will you guys stop laughing? Fuego Nando, Victor Cologne, Fan Wolf 72, Irish Magic Mike. Austin Lampy, Random Hustle, Only Franz, Maria, Keith Wallace, and Fritz. A big thank you to all of our patrons. Again, you can find us at patreon.com slash the six man show. Luke, is there something that you would like to share with the class? <laughs> no, no. I Kevin started it. All right. Started it. Hey, we have some creative patrons. That's all I'm gonna say. All right. We definitely do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, let's get into the conversation with our good buddy, Josh Cohen. All right, y'all, a very special guest joining the show. We haven't talked to this man since last year during the pre-draft process, but he's a writer and digital content manager for OrlandoMagic.com. Our friend, Josh Cohen. Josh, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks to uh, both of you for having me aboard. Always appreciate it. And yeah, I can't believe it's already been a year since I was last on this show. But as we were talking off air, time just keeps flying by. And uh, I can't believe we're two weeks away from the draft. Yeah, two weeks away from the draft. Still, you know, smack dab in the middle of the NBA finals. We're recording this uh, just after eight o'clock on Wednesday. Game three is getting ready to tip off here in, a, in about a half hour. Josh, who are you rooting for? in these NBA finals? I hope it's obvious, but of course, Denver. Okay, good. <laughs> Jonathan would have just, he would have closed out the Zoom right there. Yeah, no, totally. I wouldn't, not to Josh, not to Josh. <laughs> Let the best team win, though, of course. Yeah. It's always a fair game, but Denver is the team that I would love to see win it. I love their coaching staff. Of course, Jokic is so exciting to watch. Jamal Murray's been incredible. So, And, you know, you got to still root for Aaron Gordon, right? 
And Jeff Green, too, another former Magic player. Jeff Always got Green. to root for those guys. Jeff Green. I met Jeff Green at a 2017 season ticket holder event. And I was mm-hmm. like, Jeff, we're making the playoffs this year, right? And he goes, I promise. Look me dead straight in my face and <laughs> just lied. He's like, I promise we're making the playoffs. We did not make the playoffs that you gotta, year. You got to love the optimism, though. Yes. Yeah. A glass half full approach is always the right way to go. I think. Imagine he looked at you and he was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Then you have a true story, but uh, that would be even more fascinating. But I'm glad he kept it positive. At that same ticket holder event, DJ Augustine was set up at like a little Papa shot station. And I played DJ Augustine one-on-one and we were tied with like one second left. He misses his shot as I'm going to take mine and in true DJ Augustine fashion, grab my shoulder and almost pulled me to the ground <laughs> so that I, that we ended up tying and I could not win. I'll never wow. forgive DJ for that, but he made up for it with that game one uh, gamer against sure. the Raptors. <laughs> That's hilarious. So DJ Josh, was good like that. G- DJ was a lot of fun. D- yeah. Great guy. And yeah. I was like, you know what? Maybe I could have been in the NBA. Like when I stood next to DJ, <laughs> It became yeah. a little bit more realistic for yeah, me. Yeah, that if, it was, if it was Papa shot, you might have been in. You might have yeah. been, might as well have been an NBA player. Yeah, yeah. So, Josh, again, it's been a year since we've talked. Since then, the Magic drafted Paolo Bancaro number one overall. Uh, had a, a what I and Luke and a lot of people consider a really successful season, even given the way that the Magic started the year. Well, especially the way that the Magic started the year. So just kind of give us your your opinion on Paolo's rookie season and this overall, just this last season for the Magic. Well, as you alluded to, Paolo got off to a tremendous start. Those first six games where he scored over 20 points was pretty mesmerizing. Surprising, probably not shocking, though, just from the standpoint of we knew that he could be an electric scorer right out of the game. He's very polished coming out of Duke. He's probably the most polished prospect uh, in last year's draft, and I think he proved that he was at least ready to contribute right away at the NBA level, and he continued to showcase a variety of different elements to his game as the season went on. And I think the number one thing that got better and better as the year went on was his playmaking, and I think this is the most critical part for Paolo going forward. We know that he's going to score a lot. We just don't know if he's going to be efficient. And we'll find that out at a later date. You know, if you're trying to compare him to the all-time great scorers, efficiency is usually what it comes down to. There's a reason why Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant, Carmelo Anthony, guys like that were such electric scorers because they reached efficiency levels that were supreme. I don't know if Paolo will ever be that efficient and that electric, but regardless of where his scoring totals finish out, I still think the most important detail of his game going forward is the playmaking. You look at, for example, Jason Tatum, and I've been bringing this up to a lot of people the last few weeks, and I understand the Celtics fell short of their goal. But what I see from Jason Tatum is a lot of what I hope to see in Paolo. I'm not necessarily saying they're identical players. They're different in a lot of ways. I think Paolo's more power, a little less finesse, while Jason Tatum is more finesse, a little less power. And uh, I would say Tatum's a little smoother, better catch and shoot, jump shooter from the perimeter. But when you talk about some of the movements, the ball handling, the creativity, and then most importantly, the vision and the instincts when the ball's in their hands, I think are very similar, very compatible. What the Celtics did with Tatum is exactly what I think needs to happen with Paolo. And that is, is if he's running the show, which is exactly what happened with Tatum when they decided to move off of Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker a couple of years ago, it enabled Tatum 
to be handed the keys and be a playmaker from the forward spot. And if you look around the league, the best teams all have elite playmaking in the front court. Obviously, Denver with Nikola Jokic, Miami with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, the Lakers with LeBron, Giannis in Milwaukee, and now Tatum in Boston. And I truly believe, you know, he's six foot ten, Paolo. He has deceptive quickness. I wouldn't say he's blazing fast, but he has this way of manipulating defenders through various movements, which is what makes Tatum so special. And it's all about what they do when they get in the paint. And Paolo is exceptionally good at getting in the paint. And whether he decides to create for himself, draw the contact, we know he's amazing at getting to the free throw line. Or once the roster fills out around him and there's more shooting and there's more cutting and he has more familiarity with the ancillary pieces on the team, I just think sky's the limit for him from an all-around standpoint. Whether he ends up scoring in the upper 20s, you know, obviously when you think about superstars, you think of guys that put up a lot of points. To me, that's not the most important detail with him. Of course, that would be great. But I expect him, and I think he's capable of it, to be amongst the top triple-double guys in the league by the time he reaches his prime. He had one game against Miami late in the year where he fell one assist shy of a triple-double. He didn't end up getting one this year, but he came close a few times, and I thought those were the games where I was most impressed because he wasn't necessarily shooting the ball at a high clip, but he still found ways to get others involved. He was able to get in the paint relentlessly and the ability to initiate contact consistently is what makes him so spectacular. Uh, I love the power and finesse blend. And uh, I just think he's going to be one of those unique guys at his size who makes everyone around him better. And we see that from the best teams in the league right now, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, you. You talk about you know the the comps for Paolo. You mentioned his free throw uh, ability to get to the free throw line. Some of Magic fans may not know, uh, but Josh has a YouTube channel where he does player breakdowns and things of the sorts. You had one Josh recently about Paolo Bancaro, and you went into uh, a player comp, and the player comp that you spent really the most time talking about was Paul Pierce, and that was super interesting to me. Uh, and things that you know, things that you brought up in the video that I really hadn't thought too much about, and type of the similarities, things like that. Can you talk just a little bit about what you touched on in the video, uh, and just kind of what makes Paolo uh, and that player comp a, a reality with Paul Pierce? Yeah, Pierce was a player in his prime that always deceived his defenders. He didn't have blazing quickness. You never really knew where he was going to end up on the floor but he always found a way to get to his sweet spots. And if he couldn't get to his sweet spots because the defense was smothering, he would bulldoze his way to the free throw line or bulldoze his way to the paint, draw the contact and get to the free throw line. Obviously we're seeing that with Paolo early in his career. I thought Pierce's movements off the dribble seemed to always fool his defenders. I, I think there's one play I remember watching Al Harrington was his defender, of course, former Magic player Al Harrington. Of course, he didn't spend much time in Orlando, but yeah. still a former Magic player. You could tell Harrington was locked in to trying to contain Pierce in this particular game. And I remember watching the possession. And Pierce just, no matter how smothering Harrington was going to be defensively, Pierce was going to find a way to juke himself away from Harrington, create separation, and hit a step back jumper. It's exactly what he did. It was a huge shot in that game. And I just feel like the movements, 
the creativity, the craftiness, the size, although Paolo's taller, they both have that similar muscle frame. And I feel like the strength combined with that deceptive quickness is what makes them very similar. And Pierce just, it was always amazing to me how he withstood being that like overpowering athlete that he didn't have that supreme quickness. He wasn't blazing fast. He didn't necessarily move in a way where you thought he'd be able to blow by his defenders, but he always found a way to deceive them essentially. And I feel like Paolo was very similar. You know, Paolo does not blow past his defenders very frequently. His blow by percentage was not very high in his rookie year, but he's patient. He's practical. He understands his limitations and that's exactly what Pierce did throughout the course of his career, particularly in his prime with the Celtics. Josh, what impressed or stood out the most to you about Franz in year two? Well, his catch and shoot three point shooting got a lot better, especially in the fourth quarter. I think one of the most fascinating stats from this past year was Franz's numbers in the fourth quarter. He was one of the leaders in points in that final frame. And then more importantly, I think it was amongst the top 20 scores in the fourth quarter this past year Franz had the best three-point percentage so he was clutch he came up big in those pressure-packed moments he wasn't necessarily given an opportunity to hit a game winner precisely but it seemed like in those last five minutes he always stepped up I remember one game against Memphis where he was playing poorly all game I think he had single-digit points going into like the last seven minutes and then he just erupted and gave the magic a chance to win the game. In fact, it was both times against Memphis, the the one in January at home. And then again, in Memphis near the end of the season, he did it both times against them. And that of course is a physical defense, very difficult to game plan for. They play in the mud and Franz started wearing them down as the game went along. And I think that's the big thing with Franz. He's so relentless. He never burns out. He tires his defenders out. Uh, it, 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 it's it, there's very few players to me that gain more and more energy as the game goes on. And he's one of those guys. It just seems like he has endless energy and his endurance must be amazing because he just always seems to elevate himself in times when you think they would be exhausted or he would be exhausted. And it's the complete opposite. And then of course we know about his footwork on drives, which is very Manu Ginobili esque. And I still think that's his best comp at this point. I think there's more that Franz can can deliver, particularly from a playmaking standpoint, similar to Paolo. But like, as far as the driving ability, it's it's unique. It's 6'10", you know? I mean, the way he's able to slither through the lane, weave around traffic, and, and shoot from either hand from any angle is uh, is very impressive. The thing he doesn't do, and I saw this number recently and it really like popped in my mind. I'm like, wow, that could be something he can get, he can get a lot better in. He does not make floaters well. He is a he. I think he was second to the bottom. I forget the number of takes as far as a quantity to qualify for this. I think he was second worst in percentage on floaters amongst however many takes. Um, and so the floater game is something that he can get a lot better in. And it's that in between game he doesn't have. You know, he 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 showcased a little bit early in the year that Dirk Nowitzki one legged you know fadeaway which. I think is kind of part of his repertoire, but it's not consistent. If he could develop a mid-range game or at least a reliable floater, that'll add a lot of scoring elements to his game. But more importantly, just like Paolo, 
I see a lot of Turkoglu in in Franz from a playmaking standpoint. He plays a little with more pace than Turk. Turk Turkoglu is amazingly methodical and deliberate. Um, and his his camaraderie with Dwight Howard was incredible, which is obviously why they were able to get all the way to the finals because their du- that duo was so difficult to deal with. And then you had the spacing with Richard and Jameer and Michael Petrus and JJ Redick and all that. But th- that that pick and roll game between Turk and Dwight was incredible. And I see that now, granted, they're not, I mean, Dwight obviously is far superior than, than Wendell Carter, but that chemistry between Franz and Wendell is extremely good and getting better. And if you look at the, the analytics between those two, particularly it shined above a lot of other duos in the league. And I like the way that they run pick and roll. And of course, Wendell can either pop back, he can flash inside. He's a really good roller. So like that tandem to me is very special. And so Franz, yeah, I, 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 he's whether, I don't know how far he is from his peak, his ceiling. That's the big question with him because he's a player that we knew coming into the league, having played two years at Michigan and having played pro in Germany, we kind of assumed he was a little more advanced than your average rookie last year. The question now is, is how far is he from his ceiling? And if he's not that far from it, then you're talking about a really special player. If he is close to it, it's still really, really good. He just has, he just has to polish up a few things to, to at least be at that all-star level. I want to ask you before we get into like draft prospect stuff and just talking about the draft in general, you talk about Franz and the levels that he can get to. And and we talk about that with Paolo all the time, obviously, where do you think on a, I, I love to ask this question because everybody answers feels pretty different. On a championship team at their peak, are you comfortable saying what option guy on the team, Palo and Franz, would be really separately, honestly? But it could be on the same team, but you know what I mean? Just like grade them yeah. separately, I guess. It, it's it's amazing you ask that question because it's the question I ask myself on an everyday basis, to be completely <laughs> honest. And this is something that I think every young team is asking themselves. Like if you're not Denver, if you're not Philadelphia, if you're not Boston, if you're not Miami now, although maybe before the playoffs, you wouldn't have brought them up. Um, there are very few teams where, A, you know the pecking order and the hierarchy of your roster. And B, you know you at least have a guy that you can legitimately classify as a tier one player. And for me, the way I define tier one is top 10. Like if you're not a top 10 player in the league, you're not tier one. Because tier one means you're good enough to be the best player on a championship team. And with the exception of the 2004 Detroit Pistons, we have never seen a team win a championship without having a top 10 player in the league. If Miami wins it, Jimmy Butler has played like a top 10 player throughout these playoffs, but would we classify him as a top 10 player overall? That's debatable. Obviously Jokic is probably the best player in the league. So uh, they could be an exception if you want to, if you want to consider Butler outside the top 10, but that's debatable. Uh, but every other year, a top, not even just top 10, really, if you think about it, it's like top five or top eight at the worst. So with the magic, particularly you, we can debate all day about Paolo, right? Like we know he's going to be really, 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 really good. He's already really good. He's almost a certain, I, I don't want to say a lock, but it's close to a lot in my eyes to being an all-star player, right? I'd be shocked if he didn't make an all-star team. Um, I would expect him to be a perennial all-star. The question from there is, 
does he reach tier one status? And if you feel confident he will, and he's showing signs that he can do that, then everything has to revolve around him. And you have, you have a, a sort of a hierarchy kind of establishing. Because once you have that tier one guy established, you have something, a key foundation piece locked in, and you can worry about the ancillary pieces subsequently. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's just kind of the way that I view it. How do you view Franz? Yeah, Franz is really interesting, right? I mean, like I said, comp wise, I compared him to Manu Ginobili. Ginobili was the third best player on a perennial championship contender. Uh, of course, he was a six man mostly on the Spurs, but his contributions were more immense than that. Um, I've always felt like his best, if he's your third best player, I feel really, 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 really good. Uh, second best player is where, you know, it's tough to determine right now. He's still really young. I think there's a chance in today's NBA with his skill type, he could theoretically be the second best player on a fringe championship team. How about that? I don't know if, if the defense is in order and of course the magic are all about defensive principles and building an identity on that end of the floor, then to me, it changes things because if you're a top five defense as Miami traditionally generally is, you can kind of get away with not necessarily being the most potent offensive team. And Franz is a two-way player. So if he's contributing at a high level defensively and he's giving you bits and pieces offensively and shooting at a high clip, well, that may be plenty to be the second best player. The likelihood, just based on general logic, is that I, I, third best player feels right, but it's still too early to make those kinds of determinations, in my opinion. The most recent examples, because Luke and I have had this conversation a, a few different times and we kind of fall on different sides of the fences here. I look at the 2021 Milwaukee Bucks, their second best player being Chris Middleton. I look at the 2019 Toronto Raptors, their second best player being Pascal Siakam. But to your point, both of those teams were borderline elite defensively. So I, I think that's kind of what you're getting at, that Franz could be your second best player if your team is also just all around sound defensively. Yes. And again, the ancillary pieces are critical because like you mentioned, those Milwaukee and Toronto teams, they just had the right ancillary pieces around in Milwaukee's case, Giannis and Middleton, Drew Holiday, if you want to throw him in there as well. And then of course in Toronto with, in addition to Kawhi Leonard and Siakam, Van Fleet, Lowry. So it, and Marcus Gasol, it, it just felt like there wasn't a weak link on any of those rosters for the most part. But more importantly, and this is why this draft to me is very critical for the Magic, is my estimation. Miami's a great example. Denver is unique, but they're proving to be far better as far as defensive versatility than they were in the regular season. I think in the playoffs, they've elevated their play defensively. I think it's critical to not have any defensive liabilities on the floor. We're in an era now, we're in positionless basketball. Size is huge factor, being able to guard multiple positions and length has, is never, has never been more important because at every position guys are getting longer. And as I mentioned earlier, we're not really seeing ball dominant guards control the league anymore. Guys under six foot five and unless they're elite shot makers like Jamal Murray, Jalen Brunson, I categorize them differently than I would other point guards because they are just straight up tough shot makers they are bucket getters at their positions, but they're not the ones really completely controlling the flow of the offense. Brunson does a little more than Murray, 
But of course, in Denver, it's Jokic's show. Julius Randle handles a lot of the orchestrating in New York. But my point is, is we're not seeing the traditional point guards dominate the game that they may have years back. And I'm not going to suggest that those players aren't great. John Morant, Kyrie Irving, et cetera, et cetera. They are great players. But right now, the best teams, by, by, by and large, great defensively, super long, positionless. You can keep switching in every situation. It's what makes Boston so special, even though they fell short of their goal. They're obviously an elite team. They're sw- they, they switch everything, and it makes it so hard to crack them defensively. I and mean, they've been top 10 in defense ever since ever since Brad Stevens really took over. But now Missoula's doing, you know, he's more of an offensive-minded guy, but they're still an elite defense. I think they finished second in defense this year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Josh, if you take out, let's kind of shift gears toward the draft at this point. If you take out in this draft, I, I want to talk guards really right now. If you take out Scoot Henderson and you take out uh, Amin Thompson, so then that, you know, would you say that first, it's really a, this is the initial question to a follow up. Would you say that Osar Thompson is better than, in your eyes, Anthony Black, Keontae George, Kaysen Wallace? So, my my opinion is George's skill set to me in today's NBA, I see him as a potential spark plug off the bench. That's my estimation of him. He looks like a, a shot hunter, not so much a shot creator. I, he, I mean, we spoke to him at the combine. Obviously, he thinks his facilitating is improving each each and every day. I didn't necessarily see that at Baylor, but... He is electric in situations. He feels like a hot and cold player. He's kind of erratic. He just feels like your classic six man. That's just my eyes. Whether it's Jordan Clarkson, whether it's, you can name a lot of different guys, Lou Williams in his prime. Obviously he's no longer a part of the league, but Jordan Poole is another one that he reminds me of. Maybe Cam Thomas. I feel like he's in that ballpark. Those are really nice players. I'm just not convinced you can really rely on them in a starting role consistently, especially defensively. And then as far as spacing, you know, George, I think shot 33% from three at Baylor, something along those lines, which for a guard in today's NBA is a little lower than what I would like. Not to say he can't mm-hmm. elevate that because he certainly could. And he had some stretches yeah. I remember watching where he got, he, he caught fire. I mean, he was electric in situations. Um, so back to your question, really, I know I'm kind of like dancing around it a little bit. Um, Asar Thompson's skill set, minus the competition he played against, because we really don't know what he is. The fact that he played against that competition with overtime elite, it it's nice on paper. I just wish I could have seen more against more stiff competition, stiffer competition. That's my only thing on him. I just don't know what he is against the very elite. What I see is quick hands, great at getting in the passing lanes, stifling on-ball defender from an isolation standpoint, and very good in transition. 
I think they've been reporting that his shot making from the perimeter in workouts has been better than than advertised, but we don't know what it would be like in NBA games. I don't see an on-ball guy as far as offensively with Asar. I see someone standing in a corner, the wing, waiting for kickouts. The spray out pass is the most important pass in the NBA. It opens up the best three-point looks. If Asar can knock down threes consistently, then yeah, he's terrific role player. A terrific ancillary piece, as I kind of alluded to before about ancillary pieces. Because um, I think he's going to bring it defensively with the length, the quickness, the athleticism, the the verticality too, because I feel like he's a little bit of a slasher too, where he can catch lobs, uh, sneaking in from the baseline, for example. But I'm not expecting him to be a creator, unlike his brother, who obviously is going to have the ball in his hands a ton wherever he goes. So I'm I'm kind of all over the place with Asar Thompson, maybe simply because we just didn't see him against true competition. Um, so I'm trying not to really rank these guys so much. It's more of their skill sets. What what do they bring to the table that matches today's NBA? I think Asar, if he if he's a home run, he kind of does match. I feel like he's kind of like an Andre Iguodala. Uh, in the sense that his defensive versatility is really, really impressive based on his length, his athleticism, his size, his quickness. All of those elements would obviously usually result in someone being able to guard multiple positions. It's all about the shooting because I'm not expecting him to be an on-ball creator offensively. So take it for, you know, you, you kind of have to analyze it for yourself what you think is most important. Um, but that's how I kind of view him. I think you mentioned a couple other guys, but I'm kind of digressing a little bit. No, you're good. Yeah, the, just the other other two. Oh, Anthony, Anthony Black. You yeah, did mention Anthony Black and and uh, uh yeah, Anthony Black and Casey Wallace. But yeah, you don't yeah. have to so, get too deep into those, but yeah, just curious how they kind of yeah. stack yeah, up well, against well, the other two. Anthony Black to me plays a lot like Josh Giddy. I think there's a little bit of Austin Reeves there. They're similar in the sense that they have that nice footwork, the stop and go game. Uh, they also do a really good job manipulating defenders with their various movements. Of course, Anthony Black did not shoot a well from three. He's a very good facilitator. Again, he's 6'7", so he's got great length. Question is, as a guard, assuming he plays the guard position, and I know Giddy, if that's his best comp, Giddy plays in a very unconventional system in OKC. Giddy's playing like three, three or four different positions like every other, you know. Every time down the floor, he's either playing one, two, three, or four. It's like impossible to predict how he's going to be placed. But... Giddy plays really well off the ball because he's a good cutter. I don't know if, if Anthony black can play off the ball. Like he he's not a spot up shooter. I didn't see cutting in his game, but with the ball in his hands, he's crafty and he's got great vision. You know, if you're, if you're thinking about the magic situation, do you need a guy like that? That's, that's debatable. I don't know. Um, and then as far as Wallace, so I've seen the Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart comps, and those are fine. But like what I see, Kaysom Wallace seems a lot smaller than those guys. Now, I, I don't know what his listed height is in front of me. I think it's what, 6'3? Um, he looks more like Davion Mitchell to me. Davion Mitchell's a really good defender, but he lacks size. And while I think Kaysom averaged 4.3 assists at Kentucky this past year, which is nice. I'm not convinced he's your like primary facilitator and I just don't see him as a scorer. So he's going to hustle. He's going to play with energy. He's going to, he's going to come up with a lot of steals. Like his, the steel game is his best, his best uh, strength. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he ranks top 10 in steals if he's playing big minutes for whatever team he goes to. But like, if you have him on the floor in big moments, can you rely on him off the ball to hit threes, open threes, kick out threes? I just don't see him creating for himself. His facilitating's fine, but is the ball really going to be in, in his hands in those critical moments? Especially like if he's with the Magic, you got Paolo, you got Franz, you got Markel, so forth and so on. So defensively, he's going to bring it, though. I mean, he's definitely going to add some elements to a team's defensive identity for sure. Which prospects in this draft do you see as being the best fits for the Magic? Well, I'm a huge fan of the defensive versatility like I brought up earlier. Um, I know everybody now is raving about Koulibaly. Um, He's the big riser right now. And I could see why. I mean, the Clips, again, we don't know. I know that's better competition than what, you know, Overtime Elite was doing. But it's all coming up really recently. Like, we didn't really see any of this earlier in the year because everybody's eyes was on Wembenyama. And Bailao was not even playing that much early in the year. But these last several games have just been quite startling. Uh, now, he's listed, I think, at 6'7", but he's got a 7'2 wingspan, if what I read is correct. Uh, defense looks off the charts. I mean, his length just interferes with everything. He's good putting the ball on the deck, getting to the basket. I saw he finished with his left hand a few times, which at his age is quite impressive. But he's another one that has shown no touch from the outside. If he can't hit spot-up threes, I mean, honestly, he's probably Matisse Thibel, right? I mean, he's, he's in that boat. He's in that category. If he starts hitting threes, particularly, it opens up a whole, a whole load of potential for him. I've heard the Giannis comp, but Giannis is, always like, is, all, is also like seven feet tall, right? Um, unless he grows. I mean, I heard that he's still like, he's only 18, right? So maybe he grows more and he's 6'10 by the time he reaches the NBA. Who knows? But uh, maybe that's a little too quick to grow three inches. But he has a Giannis element to his game, but Giannis is just incredibly long, incredibly powerful. He got so chiseled that you could have never foreseen that coming. I mean, Giannis would not be the player he is now if he didn't bulk up the way he did. Most players can't do that. We saw that with Dwight Howard. That's a rarity. You know, no matter how much time they spend in the gym lifting weights, I don't care. Very few guys are going to get to that level from a physical standpoint. We can't expect, you know, bailout to do that, right? So if he can't do that, and he's a few inches tall, uh, a few inches shorter than Giannis, I, I have a hard time believing he could be that. But very impressive from an intangible standpoint and defensive versatility standpoint. So I, I think he could fit. Um, and then you have those other versatile fours and, and, and small ball fives and Taylor Hendricks. Cam Whitmore is more of a three, but he guards multiple positions really quick. Um, the more I watch Cam Whitmore, the more I see Jalen Brown. I thought Miles Bridges was his best comp for a while, which it might still be. But I'm starting to see more Jalen Brown in his game. Um, so quick off the dribble. I mean, Brown has Brown, Jalen Brown had one of the best blow by percentages in the league the last couple of years. His ball handling obviously is not great, which was his criticism in the playoffs. But 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 Whitmore's ball handling isn't great. He's a little uncoordinated when he puts the ball on the floor. But a nice spot up jump shooter. We just don't know if he can create for himself or for others when the ball's in his hands. But as far as like hardcore defense, spot up shooting, slashing, finishing with authority at the basket, Whitmore obviously has what it takes to be a really good pro. And then Hendricks, to me, is just a larger body, really long. Reminds me a little bit of a Jonathan Isaac 
as far as if he reaches his, I mean, I know Isaac's been hurt, but if Isaac wasn't hurt, we know what he can be. So I kind of compare the two of them a little bit. And, uh, you know, Hendrick surprised me as well because his shooting was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So great shot blocker too, elite rim protector. Uh, I think Whitmore has better foot speed if you're comparing the two. So I feel like all these guys fit in, but I'm focused specifically in these, in this situation on those versatile defensive types, the threes, fours, and fives, you can guard multiple positions. That's always what I value at this stage at this, uh, in today's NBA, but it doesn't mean any of the guards can't end up shining way above those guys. I mean, we mentioned a few of them, whether it's Anthony Black, Keontae George, Nick Smith, Jr. He's another one. I feel like all of them have potential to be really, really good pros. Josh, we'll, we'll kind of leave with this. Can you give us your best prediction on where the Magic end up in the standings next season? Wow. Boy, I wish I knew what the roster exactly was going to look like. But, yeah. I mean, the, they won 12 more games last year, obviously, than the year before, which was a great improvement, best in the Eastern Conference. I'm expecting Paolo to get, if not substantially better, at least reasonably better, rationally better, maybe is a better way to put it, like, you have to figure with all the work he puts in, he's going to get better. We just don't know to what extent, especially going from year one to two. Usually it's year three when we see the guys make their biggest jump. Uh, but I do expect him to get better in key areas. Um, they're still a very young team. So we'll see what Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs can deliver uh, going into their following years. I still think uh, you want to say playing tournament at the minimum, right? I mean, that would be a, re a re realistic, reasonable goal. Um, of course, you know, I want to let's see what some of these other Easter conference teams do in the off season. Cause I feel like some of these teams are going to start shaking things up. I'm not confident in some, some of those teams that were in the playing tournament or just were barely in the playoffs. I feel like have kind of reached their, their tipping point. Like what's Atlanta going to do, right? Like we don't know what Trey Young's situation. Are they considering trading him? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, I know they didn't make the playoffs, but like, is Charlotte going to completely rebuild now? I mean, granted, they were below us in the standings. I just feel like there's a number of teams that could completely change their direction, which then could elevate the magic because maybe some of those teams decide they want to rebuild, retool, and they're going to fall back in the standings, whether it's, you know, Atlanta, obviously Chicago. Chicago is another big one. What they do with DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic is a free agent. So like, there's a lot of scenarios there where I think certain teams that were above the magic could fall back, which would obviously help the magic rise. But just from you know, improvement standpoint within, I, I think playing tournament should be a realistic goal. And then seven, eight seed, I think is certainly possible for sure. And then, and then give whoever they play in the first round a, a little run for their money for sure. Maybe do yeah. what Miami did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be fantastic, but yeah, at least right. at like the very least, the magic should be hosting at least one play in game next year. Yeah. Like even if, you know, you're the eight and you lose and you're, you're, well, I mean, if you're the seven, eight game and you win, then I guess you're in, but if you lose, you know, you would host the, the winner of nine, 10, but Josh, thanks so much for, for joining the show, man. Always good to talk to you. Uh, for those that don't know, can you let everyone know where they can find your work? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Josh underscore Cohen underscore NBA, the same with YouTube. And so, yeah, you can find me at those, and also OrlandoMagic.com, Of course, that's where all my writing exists. So uh, you can find articles on there. Yeah, be sure to check out Josh's YouTube channel. Not only Orlando Magic, but like a lot of general NBA stuff. Like you did a, a Jeremy, you know, Sohan like season review, which I thought was really cool. So again, thanks, Josh, for taking the time, man. Always good talking to you. 
And yeah, we're looking forward to this next magic season. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Another big thanks to Josh for joining the show. Always appreciate his insight. And our buddy Dan Savage always tells me that nobody watches more basketball than Josh Cohen. And I think that is legitimately a fact. Yeah. And listening to him talk about, there was one point where I fact checked them behind the scenes just to see, because I had a feeling he was completely right. Trust Josh. Oh no, I trust. I just wanted to see it with my own eyes. He said, he, he just flippantly mentioned case and Wallace and he was like, yeah, you know, he uh, does such and such. He plays it, played at Kentucky. The average, I think like 4.3 dimes. And so I pulled it up yeah. real quick. I rushed to my, my basketball reference. Sure enough. He averages 4.3 assists. I expected them to maybe be off by a 10th of a point. The guy was spot on. He, uh, he's super knowledgeable. We say this about our guests all the time with, when it comes to draft stuff, but you know, Josh is clearly, research has been put in he like you said he doesn't just watch the magic uh, this guy is tuned into uh, anything and everything nba related prospect related whatever it might be and it shows so shout out to uh, to josh cohen all right that's really going to do it for this one don't forget again that post game show is coming after every regular season game our good buddy our bestie kevin tucker producer kevin tucker for those of you this is a great day for the folks that are like we need more producer kevin you're going to get a lot more producer kevin next season so looking forward to that looking forward to the orlando magic draft party coming up on june 22nd doors open at 6 30 the draft is going to start at seven o'clock be sure to go into your orlando magic app or to orlandomagic.com to reserve your free tickets and in preparation for the post game show next season Go to our YouTube right now, youtube.com slash the six man show. Go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Ring the notification bell. If you're watching this video, go ahead and comment, like all that good stuff. It all helps the algorithm. Y'all know how it works. Anything else, gentlemen, before we go ahead and wrap this up? I don't know how it works, but please, yes, like and comment. Get us to the top of everything. In a general sense, everyone engagement, knows that the algorithm sure. is what gets the, the, the content engagement. out there into the, the, the deep interwebs. It's all That's about right. the engagement, folks. But for producer Kevin, for Luke Sylvia, this has been Jonathan Osborne. You all have been listening to The Six Man Show, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Sixth Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps out the show a lot. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sixth Man Show. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.